0: Okay. All right. So the challenge was to talk about a time that you thought someone was someone else and did something based on that knowledge or someone did the opposite of you. So I want to hear some good stories right here. Oh, she's like, let's do this. I was told by my group that I have to share this. Okay. So one of my old volleyball coaches, she used to get me and this other girl confused all the time. Uh, So we were doing a drill and the consequence of this time was to run until the coach... Told you to stop if you messed it up. I messed it up royally. She sent the other girl running, oh. and then you had to run on like the upper level of the gym, to which she kind of like forgot that people were running, and they totally ran for the last forty-five minutes of practice. Oh my gosh! What wow. I was supposed to be doing. Wow. And just didn't. That sounds like a dream scenario so, for you, honestly, I, and a I terrible scenario. Alive, so. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. What else? You can share somebody else's story. They told you, so it's fair game. (laughs) Anybody else? Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he's like, now there's issues in my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never closing my eyes in prayer again. <laughs> yeah. That's the lesson. Just kidding. Um, Yeah, so I feel like we've all done this, and sometimes it's more, like, funny. Sometimes it's kind of embarrassing. Sometimes it's, like, borderline, like, okay. (laughs) Um, Like, could be inappropriate. Like, I was never do this. but So I was just, like, brainstorming, you know, getting ready for this epic intro, you know. And I'm reading other people's stories of, like, times that this happened to them. It's way worse. Whatever has happened to you, what's, what's happened to people on the Internet is way worse. So, um, but this happens. Like, we mistake people for other people. And like you said, especially with people who look like us or our family members, I have six siblings. And so even just like the name, like my mom will throw out six other names, even of my brothers, <laughs> thank goodness we don't have a dog, before she ever gets to me, right? Um, and it's this idea of the way we act is dependent on who we think that other person is so obviously your brother-in-law was acting based on the fact that he thought you were his wife and that was not true and so he would have changed his behavior if he had known right he would have held your hand like a normal person in prayer um but (laughs) this is this is just true that we change our behavior based on who people are like You and I change our behavior based on whether we're interacting with a boss or a friend, a parent, a coworker, a significant other. And I think that that's like appropriate. We should change our behavior based on different people and who they are. Um, But as I was preparing for this lesson, tonight we're talking about what is God like. And I wonder if sometimes we do the same thing that happens to us in daily life. We think that God is someone who he actually isn't and our actions follow that. Our behavior tracks with who we think God is. And although in, like, everyday life sometimes this happens, like you wave at somebody in a car that you think is Randy and then you make a fool of yourself while you're running, that's never happened to me. Um, That happens in everyday life, and it's like, it's no big deal, right? I just made a fool out of myself. But when we do it with God, I think it has a lot bigger consequences. Um, This guy that we quote a lot, if you've been around for a little bit, you might be rolling your eyes, Because another A.W. Tozer quote is coming your way. But it's not the one that we always say. So I tried to refrain from using that one. But this is what he has to say about this phenomenon we just described. He says, The idolater simply imagines things about God and acts as if they are true. Whoa. Okay, that was intense. Basically, Tozer is saying that if we don't know what God is truly like, we're just imagining things about him and then we're acting on those things, that makes us an idol worshiper, an idolater. And it's this idea because, like we talked about two weeks ago, we talked about the Bible, and we don't want to get to the end of our lives and have based everything of our actions and decisions on something that's not true. And the same is true of who we think God is. That if we're worshiping God and we're submitting to God, we better know what he actually is like and not just have a God that we imagined. So, how do we even know what God is like? And I'm really glad that we talked about the Bible two weeks ago. Whoever set this up, Drew and Alec, must have thought about that. Uh, Because we talked about the Bible, and we talked about that the Bible's from God, that it's inspired by Him. Human authors were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that it is true, that it is inerrant in the the things that it teaches and that it affirms. And power plus truth equals authority. That's what our whole lesson was about. If you weren't here, go back. I think it's good. (laughs) Um, I taught, so that's a shameless plug. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) the Bible tells us what's true about God. And if we believe that the Bible has authority, it's it's the thing that gets to tell us what is true about God, what's true about us in light of him, and then what our response to him should be. And I think sometimes when we talk about what God is like, especially just kind of like in culture, we have a temptation to start with what we think God should be like. Um, Scott has this saying that he says a lot, he said it last week, when referring to the Bible of what does the Bible mean, that we just look up into the clouds and we're like, what do I think this means? And I think that's not the way to read the Bible, for one, but it's also a bad way to start thinking about who God is. Because, again, there's that temptation to imagine things about God. And what happens when we start with ourselves as the basis for what God should look like, God actually just ends up looking a lot like you and me. Maybe he's, like, the best version of us. Like, well, I think God should be super loving and my mom is super gentle. So he's probably that. But also, like, just like a judge. And so God must be really just and really loving. And so he kind of just starts to become like an ideal human because that's kind of our only framework when we start with ourselves for who God is. But I really think that when we start with ourselves as a basis for who God is, we create a God that we can manage. Jim has the saying um, at Sunnybrook, he says, we, we create a God that we can keep in our hip pocket of whenever we need him to be loving, or we need him to be gentle, or we need him to be like a little bit less just, but mostly loving, if God is who I think he is, then he's just a manageable God, and that really is no God at all. So we're going to start with the Bible for who God is, because it is his revealed word. And we're going to talk through the attributes of God. And there's a lot of attributes of God. Think about if somebody was like, what is Heather like? What is Kylie like? What is Jake like? I was like, okay, well, what do you want to know? Like, he's a dude. He has brown hair. He seems like a good guy. He ate ice cream the other night. Like, what do you, what do you want to know? There's a lot of different things. And so we are going to walk through a lot of attributes of God, but they're all written on your handout, so hang with me. Um, there's going to be some vocab, but it's simpler than you think, so hang with me. So the first thing we need to know about what God is like is that God is transcendent. So, that's your first vocab word. Transcendent just means that God is outside of our ability, our frame of reference, our ability to grasp, to fully experience, even our ability to fully perceive who God is. And what God's transcendence means is that there are two categories. There is God, and then there's everything that is not God. There's no crossover in between these two categories. It's not like God is just at the top of, like, it's like plants, animals, humans, God. We're not even in the same category with God. He's transcendent. He's over and above. And when we think about God, his transcendence is his godness. This is like a hard thing to describe, but it's his divinity. It's what makes him different from us. He's of a different essence than we are. So there's two categories of attributes of God. And this first one, while it is an attribute of God, it's also a category. God is in his own category. So there's attributes that are true of God that are only true of God. So those are his transcendence, right? It's his Godness. So we can't be like God in these things. So we're going to talk through those. But there's also attributes of God that we can possess by by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, When we say that God is just, you and I can be just as well. When we say that God is loving, we also can be loving. But when we say that God is eternal, we cannot be eternal. So there's these two categories. And this is kind of the visual that we're going to draw. So we have God's transcendence. If I spell this wrong, don't tell me. We have God's transcendence. So God is up here. And this is eternity. And then we have us. We fit under the ark. So this is time-bound eternity. And if you're like, what does that even mean? It just means that you and I, we have a beginning, right? We're bound within time. But God is not. We are eternal beings in the sense that we have a beginning. And we will live either eternally with God or eternally separated from God. So we live within time-bound eternity. So we say that God's transcendence, These, these we're going to fill in these attributes that are going to go here, and these are the ones that God has that we cannot have. But then there are also these attributes that we are actually not going to talk about tonight that have to do with God's immanence. This is his ability to be known. So we said that God is completely other. We can't perceive him, but at the same time that he's transcendent, he's also imminent. He is able to be known. He's a relational being. And that is how, when we're made in his image, we have the ability to be these different character traits. These will be um, like fruits of the Spirit, um, things like justice and love and goodness. So those are the ones that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we say that we're conformed to God's image, that's what we mean, that we can have these traits in a limited version but traits that go above the ark are only gods to have. And so we call these traits that go above the ark incommunicable attributes. i me say that fast three times. Incommunicable. Um, and this simply means that they're unable to be given back and forth. They can't be communicated to us. Um, so that means we can't have these attributes. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. There's going to be a lot of words up here, so stick with me incommunicable just means above the arch think about it in that way and those are the attributes that we're going to spend our time on so god is completely other he's transcendent and another one of his incommunicable attributes is that god is triune so when we talk about the triune nature of god we're referring to the doctrine of the trinity And a lot of people throughout all of time have answered the question, what is God like? And a lot of people have very different answers. So when we say that God is triune, this is a distinctly Christian idea. There's no other world religion that has the doctrine of the Trinity. So what do we mean when we say the Trinity? What do we mean by triune? We are talking about the fact that God is three in one. Three persons In one God. There are three distinct persons, but of one divine essence. So the members of the Godhead, is how we talk about the Trinity, are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So they're all God, right? God the Father, God the Son. And they each have distinctive roles. If you read throughout Scripture, you'll see um, different members of the Trinity present doing different things. Sometimes they appear all together together sometimes it 's individually, um, but this does not mean that even though they have different roles, it doesn 't make one of them more God than the other, right They are all equally God, and this doesn 't mean that there are three gods there is only one God, and it doesn 't mean that God manifests himself in certain ways that it was like when Jesus came, God manifested himself as the Son for a little while, and then after jesus left that then the spirit came no there is only one god and it's not just manifestations at different times but that there are three persons in one and if your brain is hurting right now (laughs) that is okay the trinity is hard to understand and it's because god is transcendent he's completely other and I'm convinced that we did not come up with this doctrine <laughs> because it would not make sense according to human standards. There's nobody who's like, I'm just going to dream up a religion. And I'm just going to choose a really hard to understand concept. Like we have no concept for this idea of triune nature. Um, but this is who God is. And we hold to this doctrine that God is triune because the Bible consistently speaks about there being one God. It talks about um, in the famous Shema um, of the Jews of Israel that the Lord our God is one. There is one God, Yahweh. But then it talks about the different members of the Godhead. And so this is how we've come to um, the doctrine of the Trinity. And in a few weeks, Drew is going to talk about God the Son, Jesus, what we do with him. And he's going to dive into this a little bit more because a lot of the ways that we get this wrong have to do with Thinking that Jesus is not a member of the Trinity, a lot of the heresies, um, things that are not true, that are perpetrated to be true about God, have to do with Jesus, um, God the Son. So, God is triune, and he is transcendent. So, it's okay that we don't fully understand it, but it doesn't mean that we can't comprehend it at all. God is triune. The second attribute is that God is infinite. So when we say that God is infinite, we mean that he is without limit. I'm going to erase your stages of truth. Sorry, Drew. Or just a part of it. Um, You and I are the opposite of this. We are finite. We have limits. We have boundaries. We can be measured. But God is infinite. He cannot be measured. And you and I are bound up by our limits. We're limited by time. We're limited by our experiences of the world. You and I experience yesterday and today and then tomorrow as the future. We can't experience yesterday and tomorrow at the same time. We have to experience them in succession, one after another, because we're bound by time. We're finite beings. But God is outside of any limit. So there's different, There's lots of different ways to categorize these different attributes. So, If you read different books, um, there's lots of different ways to say the same thing that we see in Scripture. But one of the things that God is infinite in is his knowledge. And the fancy term for this is that God is omniscient. Okay, I have to erase more of it. So, omni means all. And then shint means knowing, so God is all-knowing. So there is nothing that God does not know. There's nothing that God does not understand. There's nothing that's beyond his grasp. And all I have to do is walk into a Calc 1 class, and I'm like, I've already found the limit. Found the limit for my knowledge. Barely made it through that class. Um, but God has no limit to his knowledge. And Isaiah 40:28 says it like this. He's talking to the people of Israel. He says, which is, this is really ironic. So if you catch this, it's fun. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. So it's fun because Isaiah is saying, do you not know? No, we don't know because we're limited in knowledge. God is infinite in knowledge. God is omniscient. So, the second thing that God is infinite in is his presence. And the fancy term for that... I wrote this down incorrectly earlier. Omnipresence. That was an easy one. Okay. So, God is all-present. Oh, okay. I think I spelled that wrong. Hang with me. So, like we said, God is not infinite. He's not limited by time and space the way that we are. Like, I can only be here. I cannot be at Panera at the same time. I can either be at Panera or I can be here. I can only be here. I can't even be over there at the same time. But God is not that way. The categories... This, like, starts to, like, make my brain hurt. The categories of space don't even apply to God. Like, God cannot be far away, and He cannot be near because... Those are measures of space, space and time. And God is not limited by those things. Jeremiah 23:23 through 24 says it like this. This is God speaking. He says, am I a God who is only near? This is the Lord's declaration and not a God who is far away. Can a person hide in secret places where I cannot see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? He's saying, I am both near and far and everywhere. I am everywhere at once because space and time don't apply to me. So God is omnipresent. I'm getting my my tenses wrong. The third thing that God is infinite in is his power. And the term for that is omnipotence. God is infinite in power. He has limitless power. There's no one who has more power than God. And if there was, whoever that was would be God. To be God, you have to be all-powerful. Otherwise, you're not God. And when we think about the nature of God as all-powerful, these things are going to start to weave together because they're all connected. God is everywhere, and so he has power everywhere he knows all things and so he has power over all things these things are woven together and ephesians 1 20 through 22 says he exercised this power in christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority power and dominion and every title given not only in this age but also in the one to come And so it's fun because we get to see the triune nature of God playing out here. He's saying that Christ, God the Son, has all power because he is God. God is all powerful. God is omnipotent. So the last one that God is infinite in is in mystery. And this is where our fun matching words end. What we call this is God's incomprehensibility. This is a really long word. that's right okay what we mean is that we cannot fully comprehend god so in means unable we're unable to fully comprehend all of who god is and even for believers when we get to heaven and we know god as we were designed to know him we still will not know god fully there are still so many things that we will not know about god because all the things we know about god is what God has revealed to us, himself. Everything we know about God is him condescending to our brains and the way that we work and saying this is who I am in a way that we can understand as an act of his grace. And only God knows himself fully because if there was someone or some being who knew God more than he knew himself, that being would be God. To be God means that we cannot fully understand him. He's incomprehensible one of my favorite um, descriptions of this is in Romans 11:33. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. See how those things weave together. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. So God is infinite. He's without limits in his knowledge, his presence, his power, and in his mystery. And those are, this is big. If you're like, okay, this is a lot. Like, we're just getting started. So hang with me, hang with me. It's going to be worth it. And we're going to take a break after we fly through these other attributes. So God is triune, the Trinity. He's infinite in all these things. And God is unchanging. This is the next attribute. And the vocab word for that is God is immutable. It means that he cannot change. And I guess another way that we could say this is that God is infinite in sameness. That he never changes. He has no ability to change. Because he is consistent. He's eternally consistent within himself. And this is, this is hard for us to understand, once again, because you and I are so... God is so other than us. You and I change all the time. All the time we're changing. Our mood changes. Our attitude changes. Our bodies are changing. We're growing. We're developing. We're dying. Um, we're, We're doing all these things. We're changing. And God is unable to do that because of his nature. God cannot grow or develop. God has never, it wasn't like God started out like a lot patient and then, Over an eternity, he's become really patient. Those things don't even make sense for God because he's unable to change. He does not change. And he says this super clearly in Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. So, all right, that's where that comes from. He says this about himself, I do not change. So the next attribute after God being unchanging is that God is simple. This may be one that... You're like, okay, how are you still talking about this then? <laughs> if God is simple, how, why is my brain hurting right now? And it's because when we talk about God being simple, the simplicity of God, we're not saying that he's easy to understand, because that would go against um, his His mystery. What we mean is that God is not made up of parts. So this is, this is hard for me to get my mind around, but it's, it's, Crazy when you start to think about it. Um, You and I are made up of parts. I have kindness and I have anger. There's a part of me um, that wants to impress people, and there's a part of me that wants to be honest. There's um, a part of me that wanted to be an FBI agent, and then a part of me that wanted to be a marketer. And then that changed because I changed and I decided to go into ministry, right? You and I are made up of parts. But God is not like this. So even though we talk about his attributes, we're not saying that God is like partly all-knowing, partly all-powerful, partly just, partly loving, because that would mean that there would be um, an inconsistency within God. He's unified. He is one. And it's not even that God has these different parts and they're all just working in harmony. It's not that to be merciful, God has to be less just. There's not this, like, increase, decrease of God's parts like there is for us. Like, when I'm angry, a lot of times I become less kind. The different parts of me are in constant conflict. But God is not made up of parts. He is one. He's unified. And so that is what we mean when we say that God is simple. And once again, if you're like, I don't even, I've never even thought about myself being made up of parts but we definitely are (laughs) even if you like think about our bodies we are made up of parts any of you who are in the medical field know that we are made up of many many more parts than you and i who are just in ministry who don't understand all the parts even could ever know so god is simple he's so different from us so we've got a few more left deep breath god is eternal So you may have heard this before, um, and I think on the surface, this one is easy to explain and hard to get your mind around, which can be the case for some of these. Um, God has no beginning. He has no end. This goes back to his infiniteness. If you're like, which one are we talking about? This is the point, is that they can't be even divided up. They're all one. This is one God we're talking about in terms of how um, we we have created these categories because this is how we can understand God, but he's not made of parts. He is um, existing outside of time. The Bible speaks about him as the everlasting one who has no beginning and no end. And this is just like, it's hard for us to think about the concept of time, right? When I think about that time is something God created, I'm like, well, what was there before time? Wait, if it's before, then that means time. I'm still talking about time. What? Okay, so it's really hard for us to think about time as a created thing. But there's a guy named Francis Chan, and he talks about it like this. Imagine you have this ream of paper that just goes on forever. Good luck just imagining that part that it goes on forever. And that you take a little pencil, and you make a little line on it. That represents time. And the paper represents all of eternity that God exists in. Um, God is eternal. And Revelation 1.8, he says this about himself, that I am the Alpha and the Omega, which means the beginning and the end. Says the Lord, the one who is, the one who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So, if you think about God's eternality, if you think, okay, well, God is eternal, he has no beginning and no end, then how did God come to be? How, like, if you and I were We had a beginning, we were created, and God has no beginning, how did he come to be? So the next one is that God is self-sufficient, and you can put, kind of group with this, oh sorry, self-sufficient, and that he is the uncaused being. So you and I are caused beings. We can point back to a specific moment in time in which we came into being. And before that, we were not in being. We had a beginning and we had an end. But God <laughs> is the uncaused one. So everything else outside of God was caused. It has a beginning. But God is the one who is uncaused. And he is self-sufficient. Which means that he is dependent on no one. There is no one who created him. There's no one that he's dependent on to give him life. Because if there was, whoever God depended on would be God. So you're catching this theme. If God is not self-sufficient, he is not God. Because if he depended on something, he would not be God. This is, again, totally opposite of us. You and I are super dependent. We are dependent on each other. We're dependent even more so on God. The breath that we take and breathe out, that is from God. And if God chose to pull back the breath, the oxygen, carbon dioxide from the earth, we would all collapse because we are dependent on God. But he is self-sufficient. He depends on no one. um, And he needs nothing. He didn't need to create us. He didn't create us out of a need that he had. He's sufficient within himself. Acts 17, 24 says it like this. The God who made the world and everything in it, He is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands, as if he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath in all things. God is self-sufficient. Last one. God is sovereign. This is kind of running all together. So, what do we mean when we say that God is sovereign? We're talking about God's control, his rule. Think about how um, when there used to be like kings and monarchs, they would say um, the sovereign ruler, that he has control over all of England or whatever, that he has power over all these things. And so, in God's sovereignty, it means that he is the supreme ruler of the universe, he has the ability. And the right, and he does control all things. So, the way that things are is because he has set them to be that way. Right and wrong is because he has set them to be that way. The design of who we are is because God is in control and he's sovereignly ruling. And so, he sets, even like when we say laws of nature, think about who establishes laws. Whoever's in control, right? God is the one who establishes even laws of nature. He's over all those things. And these start to weave together because if God was not eternal, if he um, had a beginning or an end, he could not have sovereign rule over all things. And if God was not self-sufficient, if he was not sufficient in himself but depended on someone else, he could not rule either. And so these attributes all start to work together, and that's because God is unified. Daniel four thirty five says, All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he, he being God, does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? Because God is sovereign, he's in control, he's the supreme ruler of all things. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. We just, that was from God. Um, (laughs) We just walked through the incommunicable attributes of God, and there's probably more, there's other ways to categorize these, but we just covered a lot, a lot of things that are true of God. And I'm willing to bet that maybe like 70 to 80% of you are looking at these and you're like, yep, I agree with you, good. We're on the same page. I think those things are true about God too. Like, good to go. Ready to go swim. Um, But what I've learned, even in studying these, is that a lot of times we're like, yes, I agree with that. But then in the actual working out of do we believe that these things are true about God, we start to realize that it gets a little bit dicey. So we're going to do discussion. There's two discussion questions on your sheet. The first one has to do with Um, the attributes of God that are true of him which is hardest for you to wrap your mind around then the second one has to do with which of them is hardest for you to believe is not true about yourself so we're going to take like seven to eight minutes discuss that and then we'll come back and we'll talk more about those two questions go for it Let me make sure this is working now. Okay. Um, so I don't know if you guys got to the second question. I know the first question probably was enough um, to talk about. But that's okay because we're going to explore the second question. So like I said, a lot of times we hear about the attributes of God. We hear, okay, this is what's true about God. And if you're a believer, you nod your head in agreement. And you're like, yep, I'm good. I'm good with that. And I believe all the things you said. But, like I said, it starts to get dicey when we actually start to think about what these things mean in our lives. And so we have this arch, and humanity is underneath this. We have God entering into time-bound eternity. So um, he works and interacts with us within time, and so it doesn't mean that he's bound by this. He's both in timeless eternity and interacts with us in time. Um, but you and I, we're, we're underneath the ark, um, this ark. <laughs> um, but for all of humanity and all of history, we have not been content to be here. From the very beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, after God created Adam and Eve, they immediately started to try and cross the ark. And... The way that this plays out is in the Garden of Eden. It's perfect. They're in a perfect relationship with God. And the serpent comes and he tempts Eve. And what does he say? He says, if you eat from the tree of good and evil, you will be like God. Genesis 3, 5. He, Satan is straight up about what he's offering. He's saying, you can cross the ark. You can be like God. You can be sovereign. You can determine right and wrong for yourself and this is the pattern after they did that they rebelled against who god is this is the pattern of sin that we have inherited from adam and eve so think about god's sovereignty this is there's probably a lot of things that um attributes of god that adam and eve rebelled against but sovereignty is one of the big ones because we said sovereignty means that God is the supreme ruler. He is the one who determines the laws of nature, uh, the laws of morality, what is right and wrong, the best way to live. In Deuteronomy, God gives the law and he presents these two choices, the way of life and blessing or the way of death, of curse. And he says, choose today which, which way you will go, whom, whom you will serve. Will you serve the true God or not? And... Just like in the garden, Adam and Eve fell into believing that they could be sovereign like God. So They tried to cross to be sovereign like God is. Because they said, you know what? I think I know better. I think that I want to determine for myself what is right and wrong. I want to determine for myself how I'm going to live, the best way to live. I think I'm sovereign. I think that I'm the ruler. I think I'm in control. And I think it's easy for us to see, like, Adam and Eve, yeah, that was a stupid move, like, thanks for that. Um, But you and I do this a whole lot more than we want to admit. Just think about the way that our culture, we can just talk about our culture, we don't need to implicate ourselves, even though we're definitely part of this. Think about how our culture talks about marriage and sexuality. I want you to see this vision of us trying to cross the ark of Eve reaching out from the tree of good and evil and saying, you know what, I think I'm going to decide. I know that you said that marriage was for a man and a woman, that sex is for marriage, but I think that I know better, and I think I'm going to decide what this looks like. And so it's rebelling against God's good design, the way he's designed us to live. You and I constantly reach across the ark to try and be sovereign ourselves. So the truth about God's sovereignty, for as much as we try to cross the ark, we never can. It's just a rebellion against who God is. And the truth of God's sovereignty means that rebelling against him has consequences because of his sovereign rule. Think about self-sufficiency. God is the self-sufficient one. But a lot of times we try to cross the ark into being self-sufficient. A lot of us in here, maybe all of us, I don't know, are Americans, or at least live, for the most part, in America. The American dream is this. It is this, I don't need anyone, I'm going to be independent, I'm not going to be dependent on anyone, uh, I'm going to pull, pull myself up by my own bootstraps, I don't even know what that means. I've never worn boots that have straps on them. but. I'm guessing it just means like, do this on your own, like you can just do it, like work hard, you don't need anyone, and this is what our culture says, is that if you just work hard enough, you can be whatever you want to be, you don't need to be be dependent on anyone, we think we can be self-sufficient, and the markers of this is, first, obviously we're saying that we don't need God when we're trying to be self-sufficient, but one of the ways we can see this in ourselves is when we start to think that we don't need others either. Whenever we really don't need your, you keeping me accountable, I don't really need you to remind me of things I say I believe but I'm not acting with, I don't really need you to be honest or confront me in this, and I for sure don't need to be vulnerable about where I'm struggling in my life or the hard things or confessing sin because to do those things is to admit <coughs> I'm not self-sufficient. I do need your help. I need you to help me remember uh, who God is and repent. And when we think that we are self-sufficient, we think that we don't need any help. And I really think that college does not help us in this. It's a time when you're disconnected from your family, from your parents, um, maybe from a home church, from a community. And college is the time where it's like, you can be anything, And you can do whatever major you want, and you don't need to have any accountability. You can set your own limits. You could be limitless. See how that ties in? Um, It just doesn't work, frankly. Like, it sounds good, but it breaks all the time. Whenever you and I try to be something that we're not and we rebel against God's good design, self-sufficiency sounds a lot like isolation and loneliness, anxiety and depression, When we try to be self-sufficient against our design, it breaks. Because we are not designed to be this way. We also try to be all of these things that God is infinite in. We could talk about all these things, really. Um, But we try to be all-powerful, all-present, and all-knowing. And there's so many ways that this shows up. And Jen Wilkin, in the book, None Like Him, identifies each of these. It's so good. Only read it if you're willing to be convicted, though. Super convicting. Um, Take, for instance, knowledge. You have an iPhone. This is like us trying to be omniscient more than anything else. If we have a question, we just Google it. We just look it up. I can know basically anything, which is not true, because Calc 1, again, is just like the roadblock. Keeps me humble. Uh, We can't know everything, but we kind of feel like we can. And we feel like we have a right to know everything. Um, But we're not designed to be that way. And I think we actually, it becomes really overwhelming to know everything. If you've ever been super in tune with the news, at first it's like, okay, like, yeah, I know what's going on in the world. And then you're like, (sighs) I'm overwhelmed by everything that's happening in the world. I don't want to know about this awful thing that's happening, like, so many miles away, I can't do anything about it. And that's because we're not designed to be all-knowing. We do this with power. We think that we're designed to be all powerful. And if you're like, no, okay. Like, none of us are ruling anything. We're not in charge of anything. We're just college students. But power in our society looks like a lot of different things. It looks like making a lot of money, wealth. Um, Power looks like being a beautiful person, physically fit, or whatever uh, the standards are now. I don't know. It looks like having a charismatic personality. People think you're funny, people like you. Um, And you can see that our culture values this type of power based on who we elevate in our society. So political figures who have a charisma or who tell us that we too can be powerful like they are if we just join their team. Um, People who are beautiful, models and celebrities, people who have a lot of talent. We say, oh yes, like that is power. And they kind of have this, like, um, not-humanness is how it feels. Like, they're so talented and they're so wealthy. They're not even, like, one of us. But they are. And all the time, it breaks. When we try to be something that we are not, it breaks. This is why there's such a thing as, um, what's the TMZ? The tabloids. Because there's so much drama that happens. There are scandals all over the place. There are celebrities who have it all and yet they're lonely, they're depressed, they're anxious, just like all the rest of us because we're not designed to be all-powerful. We try to be all-present on social media. Um, We think that we can be everywhere knowing about this vacation and what this person's doing and without ever actually being present anywhere. If you ever talk to somebody who's scrolling social media, they're not really present on their phone because they're still with you, but they're definitely not present with you because they're like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, what'd you say? Sorry, right? We think that we can be everywhere, but we can't. And it's exhausting to try. And I have to be honest, as I've been prepping for this lesson, I have been confronted with the truth about this. And the truth about where I try to cross this arc. And try to take attributes and things that are true of God, and say, no, this is true of me. Seizing autonomy, this... um, Like in the garden, I'm going to decide for myself what's right and wrong. And I really have been convicted about it. I think, personally, I can struggle with believing the lie that I can be limitless if I just micromanage the heck out of my schedule. (laughs) That might be the total opposite of you, but I'm like, all right, 9.30, I've got this. I can squeeze this in. I can do this right before bed if I wake up early. No, I'll just stay up late. Um, (laughs) I just try to micromanage my schedule. I'm a sucker for productivity books because it's how can I suck the most out of every moment of every day. Um, It's because I think I can be limitless if I just find the secret. I can do it all, right? And it ends up just being super busy and exhausting. I think sometimes I can believe the lie that I can be powerful if I'm just more charismatic, if people love my personality, And these things, they just end up leading to burnout. I start to see people as, oh, you can give me approval, you can affirm me. Now you're just someone who gives me something. Now I'm just manipulating other people instead of seeing them as valuable. A lot of times I try to be self-sufficient and be just close enough to people that they see all the good things and none of the brokenness that's underneath the surface. I can be slow to share The actually vulnerable things going on in my life were slow to confess sin because I'm ashamed of it. And I just have to tell you from personal experience of doing this that it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. When I try to be limitless, I always hit a wall of exhaustion, of burnout, and other people get burned in the process. It's never like a one, just like I'm the only one who suffers. When I try to be God, it hurts other people. Whenever I seek power in charisma or beauty, I start to see people, right, as those things who give me something. And when I become or try to become self-sufficient, I just get lonely. I just become isolated. Because when we try to be something that we are not, it breaks. And it will do that every time. But I have good news for you. This ark exists because he is God and we are not. That is good news for us, that he is God and I am not. I don't, I don't and you don't have to bear the crushing weight of being God. I don't know if you've ever tried to figure out for yourself all the time what's right and wrong. That would be God's sovereignty. It's exhausting to try and figure out, okay, should this be right? Is this wrong? There's a standard that's been set by God that we can refer back to. I don't have to be all-powerful, which is good, because when I look in the mirror, even if you don't see it, I definitely do. I don't have all the power. I am not self-sufficient. I am not eternal. I feel time all the time. I never seem to have enough of it, because I'm bound by it. But God has all power, and he provides all that I need, and I can rejoice because of that. I can rejoice even in my limits. The thing that I probably push up against the most is the fact that I'm limited. But God is not, and that should give us like a wave of relief. Of like, in all the ways that I am limited, God is not limited, because he is transcendent. And so, my hope in this is that you would have that same experience of looking at God and not just like, yep, these things are true, shout out to theology. But that you would have this moment of actually looking at God and thinking through these attributes and going, whoa. God is so other than I am. And the response to that should be humility. It should be fear of who God is. It should be some trembling in that God knows all things about us. But our response should be one of worship, of adoration, um, and of humble hum- humility, humble humility, yes, and obedience. Really, what this leads to is when we look at God and we see that we are so different from him, the only option is, well, there's two options. You can rebel against the design that God has given, and it will break every time. I can tell you from personal experience, or we can submit to him in the way of life. And that is really my prayer for us. Um, So let me pray. Pray that over us. Father, I thank you for who you are, that you are not limited that you are all powerful, that you are eternal, that you are the everlasting one. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and in Jesus. Thank you that we can know you. Father, I pray that as we think on these things, we reflect on who you are, um, that we would not just give a thumbs up of passive agreement, but that we would recognize that we're confronted. Um, with a choice whether we will rebel against who you are and try to be God for ourselves or whether we'll submit to who you are, your perfect rule and reign, Father. So I pray that um, you would stir in our hearts that we would not be able to rest until we've made a decision um, whether we will serve ourselves as a false God or you, the one true God, Father. Um, We rejoice and give you praise that you are who you are. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Um, We love you, and we serve you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Okay. Let's go swim. Do some light and breezy.